There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. An Erio's production. Well, it's time to start my theme song, but it's really too upbeat. So I'm changing up the lyrics till I'm standing on two feet. Life is fucking crazy. But I'm getting by. Whoa. Getting by. There we go. Here we go. <laughs> I can't think of any lyrics on this spot. It could be balding, bearded, short or tall Funny, smart, love basketball From gay to straight, black to white Tiny eyes with an underbite I just need sperm Spermcast <laughs> Spermcast Okay, thank you everybody for um, tuning back into Spermcast I'm so happy to be back and to have a place to like talk about my feelings, I'm so lucky and grateful that anybody would be interested. So thank you. Now, I have a whole world of longtime listeners, but hey, if you have just recently found this podcast because you've experienced a loss and you're looking for support, first of all, let me just tell you that I'm so sorry for what you're going through and that I hope this podcast brings you some comfort. You are not alone, and if you have any questions about where to find support, please, please feel free to email me at spermcast at gmail.com and I can connect you with some of the individuals and groups that have been helping me recently. Now, well, I'll just quickly tell you all who I am for the new listeners. Uh, I started out this podcast almost three years ago when I was 39 and single and I realized I needed to find a sperm donor. And little did I know that this would turn into the journey of a lifetime with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Long story short, I had a couple pregnancies and a couple miscarriages, lots of fertility treatments, lots of incredible guests. And finally, in July of 2020, I transferred two untested frozen embryos made from eggs I froze when I was 37, and I got pregnant. I was cautiously optimistic for a few months, but eventually started trusting that this pregnancy was going to work out. My NIPT results and NT scan showed a low risk of chromosomal abnormalities, and my 20-week scan looked great. So I packed up my house in Los Angeles and gleefully moved across the country to be with my family in New York. But things took a heartbreaking turn at about 24 and a half weeks when we discovered that my baby had microcephaly, which is a very small head, and microencephaly, which is a very small brain. And there was also a piece of her brain that was missing below her temporal lobes. After learning about what we could expect from her diagnosis, I ultimately decided that I needed to terminate the pregnancy so that she could go on to live in a body that would really let her live. So I terminated the pregnancy on December 10th and ended up in the hospital for two days because they couldn't stop my bleeding. 
I had multiple transfusions, and for the last month, I've been home with my family, recovering and grieving and taking care of myself. Now, I said all of that in a very cool and collected way, but if you want to hear the whole story, including all of the emotion that is uh, bubbling right beneath the surface, you can listen to the episode that I released on December 22nd, where Amanda, my producer, helps me uh, tell the whole story of what happened. I believe the episode is called What Happened, and um, it's really hard to listen to, but if you do have questions, I probably covered it in that conversation. Okay, so since my last episode, I have some updates. I had a follow-up with one of the doctors that took care of me in the hospital, and I originally thought that the source of my bleeding was a tear or a laceration in my cervix, but the doctor says that my uterus also did not clamp down and that that's probably where most of the bleeding had come from. So after a baby and placenta are no longer in the uterus, it is supposed to contract, which basically cuts off circulation to the blood vessels in the uterus and causes the bleeding to stop. When the uterus does not contract or clamp down, this is called uterine atony, A-T-O-N-Y, or atony of the uterus. And oddly enough, I did a cutaway about uterine atony in Annie O'Connor's episode, the last episode before all of this happened. What's crazy is that before my DNE, I asked my doctor, how do we ensure that my uterus clamps down and that I don't bleed out? I don't remember exactly what his answer was, but it was basically like, your uterus should do that, it should clamp down, but sometimes it doesn't. And then it happened to me. I also remember being in the hospital on my way to the OR and asking the doctors there if my uterus had clamped down. I thought they told me it had, but apparently it hadn't. Okay, so moving on, on that follow-up call with the doctor over at the hospital, I asked, hey, so, you know, if I want to get pregnant in the future, which I'm not saying I do, would I be able to carry a baby to term or was my cervix weakened from the laceration? And would I be at a higher risk of hemorrhaging after I give birth? She told me that the cervix would absolutely be fine, that they tear all the time in pregnancy and heal rapidly on their own. As for the risk of hemorrhaging, she did say that I'd be at a higher risk than if I'd never had any hemorrhaging before, but it's still a pretty low risk and that she would not discourage me from trying again. Just that if I do get pregnant again, I should make sure my OB is very aware of my history so that they can monitor my pregnancy and delivery more closely. Since my stay in the hospital, I've seen a hematologist and my hemoglobin has gone up. It's still a little bit low, but it's it's on the way up and that's good. Next week, I'm going to have an IV iron infusion. We'll see if that helps with my energy. So that's fun. And as for the question of what happened to my baby, I still have no idea. Like I said earlier, she was looking healthy at my 20-week scan, but something changed after that. My genetic counselor and my maternal fetal medicine doctor said that the rapid drop-off in growth of the head may indicate that the baby had some sort of virus or infection, which is crazy. I mean, I just, I don't know where it would have gotten an infection from since I have been isolated because of COVID. It's just nuts and uh, I don't know, but they're testing for everything. My first round of amnio results showed no chromosomal abnormalities, but I'm still waiting for more results from another lab because testing got delayed over there because my insurance switched over in 2021, and it's just a big old mess. And the worst part of everything is that I may never know what happened or why this happened. And 
not knowing definitely affects whether or not I will try again in the future, along with many, many other factors. But lastly, I am still pumping milk for donation, and a few days ago I dropped off 10 pounds of milk at the milk bank. I've had a lot of moments of doubt about what I'm doing, always questioning my motives and whether or not donating is good for my mental health or just a distraction from my reality. But overall, this experience has been very healing for me, I think. (laughs) And next week, I will be putting out an episode all about boobs and breast milk with a lactation consultant. It's going to be very fun. Okay, so now it's time to talk to today's guest. But wait, before we get started, I just want to say that I discovered in talking to this guest that, one, my mind is mashed potatoes right now, so please forgive me if I'm all over the place. And I also realized through this interview that there is so much I want to talk about and learn about when it comes to grief and loss. And in this conversation with her, I was trying so hard to, you know, have all of my questions answered in one episode, but this will definitely be an ongoing topic that I'll be exploring in a lot more detail moving forward. Okay, the interview. Her name is Dr. Jessica Zucker, and she's a Los Angeles-based psychologist specializing in reproductive and maternal mental health. But she's also experienced a second trimester loss, and she writes extensively on this topic for outlets such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, New York Magazine, Vogue, InStyle, etc. She's also the creator of the hashtag I Had a Miscarriage campaign, And she wrote a book. It's called I Had a Miscarriage, a memoir, a movement, and it comes out in March. I feel very lucky because I actually got to read this book already right before I interviewed Dr. Zucker. Well, I'm going to call her Jessica because I'm special. Okay, listeners, I'm here with Dr. Jessica Zucker. I found Jessica on Instagram before any of this shit happened. Oh. Yeah. And I wanted to reach out to you, but I was too scared Mm. to have somebody on my show talking about this stuff because I didn't want it. Oh, I'm going to cry a lot. Warning. (laughs) Sorry. Totally. Totally. (laughs) So, but no, I wanted to talk about loss, but I was trying to still trying to figure out my season of pregnancy on this show. And I didn't know if I wanted to have anybody coming in talking about uh, second trimester, third trimester um, miscarriages, or I guess what I did, um, abortion. Uh, I'm still getting comfortable with that term. Um, or stillbirths. I was scared to talk about that stuff because I didn't want it to happen to me. And right. So did you think, though, I'm just curious, did you think that maybe by talking about it, it would somehow jinx yeah, something in your future? Yeah. You did? That yeah. you believe that. Yeah. I don't mean, I don't want to believe that. I think it's bullshit, but I absolutely right. have that feeling all the time. And it's happened on this show before. I mean, I've talked about, I talked about mosaic embryos before I got a couple mosaic embryos. Uh, you know, like I did a whole episode about mosaic embryos and mm. I don't know. I just. Well, <sighs> here, let me dispel a myth. Yeah, please. Please do. (laughs) So, you know, I'm a psychologist. I specialize in women's reproductive and maternal mental health and have done so for over a decade at this point. And I sit with women and families and hear all of these sorts of statements. (laughs) What did I do to deserve this? Is this somehow karma? Is this because I had read an article about it? Is it because my best friend went through it? Is it because I'm a horrible person? Like just so many iterations on what did I do wrong? Or somehow this is like 
otherworldly that this happened to me. And for better and for worse, I mean, if you look to the science and you look to the research, absolutely none of this can be true. It's not to say if people want to believe it from maybe a spiritual perspective, sure. from philosophical or something, um, or religious even, that's one thing. But I think that oftentimes, unfortunately, women are blaming themselves, they're feeling guilty, they're feeling shameful. And I think it can really shore up the shame and particularly the guilt if you really look to the science. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the development of embryos and the chromosomal issues and, and how things go wrong. It could never be related to our thought processes that we somehow <laughs> up needing to terminate at 26 weeks. Like that's just not possible. Yeah. But I think that in the depth of grief, there's somehow, I think as women in particular, we are taught and sort of groomed to look for a problem within us, something we did wrong, something we, something we didn't do that somehow brought about this horrifying outcome. And I think it helps us so much when we instead connect with community, connect with the literature and really kind of go with what's true, uh, which is, you know, shit fucking happens. Yeah. And statistics are real and we are bound to become a statistic of some kind over the course of our lives. You know, I guess so. Yeah. I thought I was sort of immune to the statistics because I'm such a healthy person. And, yeah. and also, I have a show about my fucking fertility journey, and it, this could never happen to me. Right. That would just be too but crazy. Then, but then it's interesting because, like, in juxtaposition to what you're saying, though, so, and therefore, what? An unhealthy person, let's say somebody who eats horribly, you know, or smokes, or like somehow it's going to happen to them? No, it actually you see that a lot of people who don't treat themselves well are having these healthy pregnancies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, we want to think that if we do right by ourselves or whatever, by, by standards that our culture upholds, like that somehow things won't go wrong for us. And it's just, it's completely untrue. (sighs) It's so fucked up. Not that I want bad things to happen to people that, you know, right. It's just, I just can't, Every now and again, I'm just like, I can't believe this happened. This is just so fucked. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason. And it's like, and I think that we look for the reasons because it's so much more painful to kind of like swim in our grief or like Mm -hmm. lean into the painful feelings. Mm -hmm. Because if we're like searching around for like, what did I do wrong? Or what, why did this happen? Or whatever, we're kind of staving off the extent of the excruciating horror that we need to face at some point. And you will. I mean, it happens in time, you know. Well, you know, I've never um, been very fortunate in my life to not have lost anyone very close to me. Um, And I've always been petrified of grief and death because I knew it was coming. I know it. I know it still is coming. Yeah. And I've never known how to deal with grief because I haven't experienced it yet. And 
I'm scared. I, it's like, it's like my whole pregnancy and all my listeners know I'm always trying to do everything like thoroughly and completely as it's supposed to be done. And, yeah. um, so with the grief, I'm like, I'm in support groups. I've reached out to bereavement counselors. I'm talking to two therapists. Like, oh, wow. I'm, well, that might be like overdosing. I know. Therapy, though. Well, I don't know. I mean, I just, I've only done one support group so far. And is it specific to terminating for medical reasons, I hope? It is not. It is um, perinatal bereavement. I think it's abortion, miscarriage, stillbirth, and. This was, um, there were only four other women in it, and it was helpful for me. Uh, I don't know if it's what I'll continue to do. Um, But. Yes. Well, what was I? Oh, yeah. I just, I don't, talking to me. Be proficient. I want to do grief. grief. I don't want to fuck it up. (laughs) I know. But that's the thing. I mean, in a way, even if you can't control it. I know you can't control, but arguably if, even if you had lost, let's say a grandparent already in your life and that you were familiar with that kind of grief, this grief is a world unto itself. Mm -hmm. So there's no getting used to this kind of thing when Mm -hmm. it's, when it's a case of out of order loss, like when, you know, the baby is basically dying before the mother, like that's just not how it's supposed to go. Right. And in our culture, we don't discuss this ever, 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 ever. We know the statistics that one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage, about one in a hundred in stillbirth. No one talks about terminating for medical reasons because of the political taboo. I know. And because, as you probably read in my InStyle article, it's like it becomes politicized even within the pregnancy loss community because people are like, well, you quote unquote chose to end your pregnancy, I would never have done that. Well, it choosing to end a pregnancy where the baby's going to die and you might even die mm. is not a quote unquote choice in yeah. the way that, you know, politics are trying to make it out to be. So this kind of grief is just foreign. Yeah. And there's just no getting it right, quote unquote, right, because <laughs> You can go to every group and have multiple therapists, but sometimes it's just, it's time that really like allows it to sink in as well. Yeah. yeah. And it hasn't been very long. Um, right. Three and a half weeks for me now, I guess. She's gasping. I am. Her her jaw's on the floor. I mean, I was still bleeding after my 16-week miscarriage at three and a half weeks. Are you, I mean, I'm I not, was like... I'm not bleeding months. anymore. But, oh, okay. You know, let me tell you, I don't know what I told you in my Instagram message to you. Did I tell you I ended up in the hospital? No. Oh, God. It's... And and the, I related so much to the trauma that you experienced too, but not a DNC with not without anesthesia. Oh my God, we have to hear your story. Mm. Uh, um, mm. I had this DNE over the course of two days, and um, and I was they couldn't stop my bleeding, so they they sent me to the hospital in an ambulance, and I lost a ton of blood and went back under, and they stitched in my cervix and put a balloon 
in the uterus to stop my bleeding. Hmm. <laughs> I had a couple transfusions and I was there for two nights. It was and so scary. It was so scary. And during COVID. No yeah, less. and I was alone. And I'm single. I don't know if you know that part. <laughs> Wait, so Ugh. do they think that something happened to your cervix during the DNE? I'm Yeah, they thought uterus? there was a laceration in the cervix. From the evacuation? Is that what it's called? Or extraction? Yeah. Oh, God, there's too much, dude. I've... I'm so sorry. I just want to say this <sighs> because I know that everyone says it, but I want to say it and mean it, and I want to say it a hundred times. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Thank you. I'm so, so sorry. Mm. How painful. And that's the thing. When trauma is not only devastating, but also horrifyingly physical, you know, and, and, and multi-day. I mean, the fact that you, then you go undergo this and undergo that and you're alone and in a hospital. I mean, that just drives the trauma home so much more and makes it so much more confounding and confusing over the long run. I I mean, that's how I feel anyway. I mean, about my situation and yeah, every situation is unique, of course. Yeah. Well, relating to your experience with the DNC, they were, during the parts when I was awake, there was so much pressing on my uterus to, to see if the, if I was still bleeding They all and to see if the uterus was clamping down. So it was very physically painful. painful. Yes. And also they and couldn't find- And were these doctors that you were no, familiar with? No. Right. I was in Manhattan. Like, um- what a trauma. What a trauma. My body's shaking now that we're talking about it. <laughs> can imagine. It's so much to go through. Yeah. Um, and being in hospitals, you know, being in a hospital in itself can be incredibly terrifying for people, especially during COVID because you feel so vulnerable and then you're so alone through it. And you don't know what's going on. I mean, that's the yeah. thing about our bodies. We have to trust these people to know what is happening. Yes. When, you know, and... and I, I got to say, I did trust them. They were Good. fabulous. All, they were There were so many of them. Anyway, they were all just so supportive. And I was so scared they were going to judge me and treat me less, treat me not as well as they would a person who didn't have an abortion. And so I kept over-explaining myself. I'm like completely out of it. And I'm like, I wanted this baby. And like trying oh. to make, you know... <sighs> I'm not sure how you feel about this. It may be helpful to use the terminology, at least for a while, terminating for medical reasons. I, I mean, I don't know if you've seen that hashtag. And I have, like, and I, and okay. I want to, yes. Um, yeah, I, there's like a Facebook group I've heard great things about. I think um, I just I think I just got in today. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, so it's like, you know, none of the doctors or nurses thought this was an abortion at 26 weeks. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, it said in your chart what was going on with your baby, you know, sure. but, but it's like, that's the thing, like, because of the world we live in, it's completely stigmatized as if you're doing something quote unquote wrong. And it's fucked up that I would have to have that fear on top of everything else that was going on fear that I would get treated with less, um, Dignity. Dignity, yeah. Compassion, yeah. 
What was I just going to say? <laughs> this is welcome to grief. L- losing one's train of thought. That's like grief 101. Right? Oh, it's yeah. just too much. I don't know what I was going to say. I was just talking about how like maybe in these initial months. Oh, yes. You, yeah, using yes, the terminology. Yes. And I was yeah. saying terminating. Back then I didn't know TFMR. Is that right. right? But I was saying I had to terminate the pregnancy. But when I realized it was an abortion, I thought maybe I should call it I should start getting used to calling it an abortion because I don't want there to be stigma and I want to feel comfortable saying it Yes, and not feel shame about saying it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. No, I get that. And I don't think that, you know, wanted abortion should be stigmatized either. But I just think like it's a confusing thing because at 26 weeks, people are usually not choosing to have an abortion. So I think yeah. most people would infer that something is wrong. Right, uh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, or yeah. with you. Yeah. You know. But you know what? We're talking way too much about me right now. And I, no, I know. It's wonderful <laughs> to hear. I mean, <sighs> you're in it. You're in the I'm very, I'm very much in it. I, I One last thing I wanted to talk about, well, okay, it doesn't matter how I segue into it. It doesn't matter. I wanted to uh, tell you that I've also been donating milk. Good for you. And um, Wow, that's very intense. It is, and but I think it's been a way for, it's been helping me cope yes. with the grief. And, um, and so you had, you were fully engorged. So much that it was very yeah. painful and they, yeah. my boobs were hard as rocks. And I was yeah. trying to stop it for two days. And then I saw my midwife and I asked her about donating. And yeah. later that afternoon there I was going for it. And I'm glad I'm doing it. But there's like a... So you're still pumping. I'm still pumping. The thing is, I feel shame about that. In what way? I feel like there's something perverted about it it's only this is only a small portion of my many thoughts about it but one I'm trying to preserve my pregnancy right and you were in your book talking about trying to uh hold on to that connection and staying suspended in between the before and the after yes and and I do I I I realized after I started that that's what I was doing trying to preserve my pregnancy and trying to keep it I, I do. I still feel pregnant, and I feel weird yeah. about that. I feel like that's like I don't know. Weird. It's completely normal. You haven't even had a period yet. It's been just a few minutes, yeah. really. I can't even believe that you're able to talk to me right now. I mean, um, maybe it, I shouldn't be. <laughs> no, I mean, it's. It, I think you'll look back and be glad that you did. Hopefully, but yeah, I mean, well. On the note of being perverse, I mean, I think people either feel, I think it's pretty black and white. Like people either feel this strong urge to pump and donate or I don't want any milk and I want to be done with this, you know? Right. And I think what you're doing for somebody else, I don't know if you know who's getting it, but I mean, I think that's a, it's a very profoundly thoughtful, compassionate and loving thing to do. And and I do think, though, at some point you'll need to kind of identify for yourself when it might be best to no longer do that. Like if that kind of like keeps you in a place that doesn't feel good anymore or something. 
Well, that, and that's a worry for me too, because I, I'm worried that I won't want to stop. But I actually told myself that I would do it for a month because I guess my milk, preterm milk is good for preemie babies. And I didn't know that before. And But for about a month, it's, it's good for that. And so I thought, well, that's a good goal if I can get that far. Now I'm like, I don't... You're a week away. If I, I know it's only a week. I, I want to do this longer, but I... Uh, Tell me, why do you want to do it longer? Because I, I don't want to end my pregnancy. Yeah. I know. But there's like reasons I want, I want to stop, which is that I'm not getting much sleep. <laughs> oh, you're up like every few hours doing it? Yeah, I take a six-hour break at night, but if I'm pumping at midnight I'm not done like cleaning up the bottles and stuff until 1 or 12:45 so it's like 5 hours of sleep mm. and then I'll fall asleep after my 6 a.m. one but for like an hour and a half or two it's just yeah. I'm tired still recovering from the blood loss I'm yes. grieving but then again there's like good things about it giving me routine and Mm. Um, alone time, an excuse to step away from my mother and my father Yes, without feeling guilty. Cause I, I, I'm mm-hmm. maybe a little codependent and want to take care of them and I feel guilty if I'm whatever. Mm. So anyway, it's got its pros and its cons, but I can't believe I've only got a week left. I mean, not that I have to stop, but you if don't, I, but if I ever want to, I don't know what I want to do about my future yet. So if I want to get going on that, I'll, I won't get my period until I stop pumping. You might. <sighs> you might. I mean, I got my period when I was breastfeeding. Oh, you so did? I'm, yeah. That's, it's kind of a mess that, that you don't, but okay. yeah, I think that's, a, this is such an important issue and I've never had the honor or opportunity to talk about this with somebody actually. Oh. I think that if you want to go longer, I would go longer. <laughs> And yet, again, it's like you want to hold both. You want to be very aware of why you're doing that. And so it's like you just said, I don't want to let go of the pregnancy. The pregnancy is over. I know. And so that's the thing. So this is actually really about nurturing somebody else's baby, which is very profound (laughs) Um, because it isn't yours. And so it's a beautiful offering. But if it keeps you kind of suspended in this, like maybe I'm really pregnant still, or maybe my baby will start to cry in the other room or like something like then, you know, it may be psychologically healthier for you to pick a date and be done. Right. Or at least start pumping less often. Yes. And then the milk will go away on its own. Exactly. Uh. Well, look, I did not mean to turn this into therapy for me. <laughs> well, I hope it. I hope it's helpful just to talk well, this through. We have to stop talking about me, though, because I really want everybody to hear about you and your wonderful book and your story. Well, my story doesn't bring us to a brighter place by any means. All right. Well, my loss was a long time ago. But, yeah, sometimes talking about it makes me like you said like shake a little bit or at least feel like a hollow feeling mm-hmm. in in the pit of my stomach. Mm-hmm. I was 16 weeks along in my second pregnancy when I miscarried at home and I was home by myself. 
So I started spotting a couple of days earlier and I went to my doctor and everything looked perfect. And so she sent me home. Uh, but then the following night I was just roiling in pain, which I now understand that I was actually like in active labor, but because there was a strong heartbeat and because the placenta looked good, it didn't make sense. So it was a Thursday morning in October when my husband went off to work and he took our son to preschool. And I don't know. I mean, I talk about this in the book a little bit. Like I probably should have asked my husband not to go to work that day, but I just, I don't know. I I mean, I was kind of holding on to denial or hope or I don't know what. I just did not think that the unimaginable was about to take place, even though I sort of knew at, at the same time. So yeah, I was home by myself and, and the bleeding had sort of gone from I don't, more of a brownish red to a like a cherry bright red and definitely became heavier in the afternoon. So at some point, I decided I was going to try to go see my doctor, not my OBGYN, but the perinatologist. Mm-hmm. Not that there were going to be answers there, but I just thought, why not go see a specialist and distract myself for a while, but I was getting dressed to go to their office and was overcome with what I now know was, like I said, active labor. I thought I was maybe like on the precipice of having a panic attack because Mm -hmm. I started sweating and like felt horrible. Uh, So I went to the bathroom to pee and put a cold compress on my head and then the baby fell out uh, there on the toilet. So, Unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> it just came out. It came out. She came out. She. I didn't mean to say it. No, I, I mean, I say it. <laughs> yeah, she came out. Yeah. No, I still don't even, I mean, I don't even, there, there are no words. And, you know, I think that even people in my family and maybe friends and maybe even some of my Instagram community wonder why I'm so sort of, you know, dead set on changing culture when it comes to this topic, you know, with maybe some thoughts of like, why doesn't she just move on already? Like she's got her kids, the miscarriage was several years ago, like just get over it or something. But I don't see it that way. I had already specialized in, as I said, women's reproductive and maternal mental health long before this happened. And so once it did happen to me and I understood it from a body-based perspective, I was just like, no more. <laughs> we have got to change the cultural conversation. I will not, you know, stand for hearing about women feeling ashamed of these things any longer. It was just ridiculous. This is ridiculous because Like I said, it's not a fault of our own. This is not a disease. There's no cure. It's going to keep happening. And so our generation and future generations need to feel like they can talk about these horrible events that happen. Anyway, so I texted my doctor. She walked me through what to do on the phone. I had to cut the umbilical cord myself. I began to hemorrhage there on the toilet. I put the baby on a towel on the counter why would they want you to cut the umbilical cord? I wonder. I mean, because how else was I going to get to her? I don't know. I don't know. But is, if you say that, that that's what caused the hemorrhaging, 
Well, it causes hemorrhaging only because until the placenta is also out, uh-huh. you bleed. Okay. The baby was like too big to be able to be like, I'm going to put on my jeans with oh a baby. Oh my God. Right. So oh instead, God. I put on my pants with towels down my, you know, in, your crotch. in my underwear. Right. Um, and the baby in a bag to be tested. My husband got home. We went directly to my doctor's office. And that description of, of you guys on the street, uh, you on the phone. Yeah. I mean, I, I called my sister. Is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I called my sister while I was standing on the street corner across the street from my doctor's office and told her the events that had just occurred. And little did I know that more was about to unfold, like more horror. Yeah. So, I mean, in order for the bleeding to stop, I had to somehow take my pants off. But when I took my pants off, a blood clot the size of a boulder fell out of my pants and splashed across the floor. And I heard the nurse say, oh, my God, it's like a murder scene in here, which I will never forget. And I do love her. And she's in my book. And she's the most compassionate person I've ever Met, but hearing that was hard. Yeah, that um, wasn't the right thing to say. No, mm-hmm. it was, it's like you, you, I mean, you probably know this right now. Like just, I was so porous, like after a loss, like your hormones and like my sensitivity level was so high. I could just hear everything and it's, mm. ooh. So the blood was moving too quickly. So I either had to wait for anesthesiology and get a blood transfusion or have an unmedicated DNC. And I opted to have an unmedicated DNC because I figured, you know what? My life's just toppled. I've just been through horrifying pain. And what's another 15 minutes? Right. 15 minutes as opposed to waiting an hour for the anesthesiologist. And just, and then the fear of like somebody else's blood in my blood, Mm -hmm. whatever. So like, I just was like, fuck it. Let's just, just go. I mean, just, and to be honest, the worst part of the whole thing was actually the sound of the machine. (gasps) Uh, Yeah. And like knowing what the sound symbolized, you know, it's like the tugging out of the Mm -hmm. last bits of the pregnancy and yeah. it's like so that's that's what happened quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Is a DNC, doesn't that mean that they go in there and scrape it out or... Or is well, that... I mean, they vacuum it like an abortion. You um, know, it's it's like what they do with an abortion. They vacuum it out. And okay. then she went back in to just make sure that she got everything. Because if you have any remaining tissue, then that becomes a problem. Okay. You can have an infection and, you know. But, yeah, the sound of that vacuum will never leave my body ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So suffice it to say that I, you know, was traumatized and yeah, my life really hasn't ever been the same since. I mean, I've definitely sort of quote unquote moved forward in my life and I, you know, have had so many other things that have gone on in my life. I returned to work and I was already a mother and so I had to be present for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's really become a central focus of my life's work at this point. Another thing that you mentioned in the book is that your baby was there on the, as they were doing the DNC, your baby was there on the table and in your line of vision, right? Yeah. And that also you didn't know about keeping the remains. I, I got to say, it's one thing that I have, I don't want to say regrets about because I didn't know that I could ask for it, but I definitely have feelings about I feel like I'm the only person that's had a later loss like this who doesn't have mm. fingerprints or some semblance of something like of proof. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend took pictures, but I ended up later deleting them. You did? I know. I, I we've we've searched high and low on backup drives and everything. <laughs> Even this last October, we went searching again, but I can't find them. But yeah, so no, because they, I mean, they sent the the fetus off for testing, and, and I did get the results that there was a chromosomal issue, and I have written a little bit about how I definitely would have terminated the pregnancy had I learned mm. two weeks later at my amnio, my scheduled amniocentesis that there was this problem I would have terminated. Hmm. So it's like, the, yeah, I didn't have to make the choice that you're talking yeah. about. But, and mine was a different choice because as you said, over DM, yours was so severe. Mine was not so severe. So it would have been a very, very challenging. I know. Decision. I have yeah. to tell you when I got the news, I was thankful that it was severe. Yeah. Exactly. Because, so I didn't have to make that decision. And that's how I feel about the miscarriage. Like I'm thankful it happened on its own yeah. so that I didn't have to decide because yeah. it just like yeah well I was me. just gonna say about you see you not knowing what to do with your with the baby and the remains and all that it, this was a conversation that people actually had out there people would know what to do if this kind of thing happened and I also have not regrets but curious why a D&E was the choice for me rather than I knew that laboring and delivery was uh, labor and delivery was an option. I didn't think that I could possibly go through with that. But in hindsight, would I have been safer? Would I not have had this trauma? Um, God, if I had just wrapped, had a moment to wrap my head around it a day longer, maybe it would have been the choice for me. And maybe I would have wanted to hold my baby. I don't think so. I don't think I could do it. I don't think so. Um, I know. It's so hard to know. I can't believe that you were able to even, I mean, you saw her. I did. But as I said in the book, I mean, it was only retrospect that made me realize that like, if I had had the presence of mind, which of course I didn't because I was afraid for my own survival, but Mm. yeah, I wish that I would have spent, I guess, more time like with her or whatever that means looking at her or just something. I don't know, but 
things were moving just way too fast, you know, and slow at the same time. Yes, that's so true. Mm. But yeah, the, the, it does, it has to move fast at that point. Well, for me, I was told I couldn't, that the clinic wouldn't do the termination after 26 weeks. So I had to get in there the next day, basically. Immediately. Yeah. Wow. Otherwise, I would have had to go to Maryland or something. And it was so, that was another issue on top of it was that like, that I had such a hard time finding a place that would do this procedure for me this late in the game. But anywho, so as a therapist, how does it feel right now talking about this stuff? And I mean, you talk about a lot in the book about the effect that your growing belly had Mm -hmm. on your clients. That's the thing. I mean, it basically punctured the like, you know, standard therapeutic boundaries when I had my loss. There was just no way, like my first pregnancy, people saw me through it and I kept it to myself. I mean, they knew, but I, we didn't discuss me. But then when I had my loss, I mean, it fucked with so many of my patients because they had either been there, they thought maybe I had this because they did, or I mean, it it got really convoluted and confusing for people. Um, And then my subsequent pregnancy, which happened a few months later, that held a lot of meeting for a lot of my patients too, because I got pregnant quickly. Some of them didn't, some of them never did, or some of them were afraid the whole time that I would have another loss. And I was afraid of that as well. So, I mean, it was it really turned my work life upside down just in terms of like what you said, like the professional boundaries were just so different. And I always try to remain focused, of course, on my patients. But at that point, if they had questions for me, there was no way I wasn't going to answer them. I mean, I would, you know, maybe minimize the detail. Right. That I wasn't going to be like, you know, I'm fine. Grief <laughs> is no biggie for me. Like it was actually an opportunity to model for them mm. how messy and complex. Like, no, I'm, I thought I was okay, but I'm actually not. Right. You know, because I came back to work way too quickly. Yeah. You went I, back the next week, right? Yeah. And I'm just like, what is that? Like, what does that say about me and my capacity for self-reflection? But then at the same time... I realized though, like, no, I wanted to get back to what I love to do. I wanted to get back to normalcy and routine. And I also didn't want to abandon my patients because obviously they're going through things as well. So sometimes we just don't know what we're doing until we do. And Mm -hmm. I think I was just doing the best I could. At what point did you start this hashtag, I had a miscarriage? How did that begin? wrote something for the New York Times? Right. That's right. So in my loss was in October of 2012. So my my doctor suggested I wait three cycles to try again. So on the fourth cycle, I got pregnant. My daughter, my now healthy daughter was born uh, in 2013. And so in Octo- October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So in October of 2014, I yeah pitched a piece to the New York Times mm-hmm. and basically was really wanting to kind of puncture that boundary that you're talking about, that professional boundary, and kind of show, like, I'm a psychologist. These things happen to me too, to us too, and here's why we need to be done with silence once and for all around this topic. 
And yeah, I really honestly didn't know what I was starting. I mean, I thought I was just writing this piece and using the hashtag on, on Twitter because I'm not on Facebook and mm-hmm. I wasn't on Instagram yet. But then the following year, I created a line of pregnancy and infant loss cards. And because of their oh. visual nature, I decided to get on Instagram. And then the Instagram community has just become this very like robust, amazing place to yeah. connect with people. Yeah. What is your Instagram handle? For the listeners. Uh, well, you could guess. I had a miscarriage. <laughs> and my forthcoming book that comes out March 9th is also called I Had a Miscarriage, a Memoir, a Movement. Can people pre-order that? Yep. Okay. You can pre-order now everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. Or Amazon, anywhere. Good. I think, I'm so lucky that you sent that to me. I do feel like, I mean, I... I know I'm doing like 18 different things to to to, to deal with my grief, uh, yeah. but I do feel like I have every day. I feel a little bit better, but this has definitely been part of me feeling seen and feeling a little bit better. Yeah, Good. yeah, and I would just suggest. I mean, I know we were joking earlier about overdosing on on <laughs> grief therapy, but I mean, I you know just it may feel antithetical to the way that we typically live, like that we just want to, you know, rush to feeling better and rush to getting things done. But I would try to be patient with yourself because literally, even if you were in therapy all day, every day, it wouldn't speed up your process. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have to grieve and, and it's like, you could just be walking down the street in three months from now and the wind makes you think of your pregnancy mm-hmm. or someone, you know, a baby being pushed in a stroll. So it's like no matter how much we OD on it, we can't, it doesn't shield us from what we might feel down the road, you know? Well, the, uh, that's the other thing. I don't want, I don't want to be done with it. I'm scared exactly. <laughs> that it's going to go away. That's right. So it's like there's a connection to that pregnancy through the grief. And why would we want to rush that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have a quick question. You say that um, stillbirth is one in a hundred. That seems high. Well, it's interesting because a couple of years ago, I was always quoting the statistic one in 160 because oh. that's what the number was. But March of Dimes updated their statistics. Oh and God. so I always go with March of Dimes. But uh, I mean, m- maybe, maybe you split the difference. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's incorrect, but I think it's really high as well. That's wild. That's it's why so don't intense. I know more people that this has happened to? Well, I or know. do I? It, I don't, well, no, you would know if people had stillbirth. And actually some people, I think some people don't use the term stillbirth, you know, kind of accidentally. Like I think, you know, any pregnancy that ends after 20 weeks, Mm. that's not a termination is considered stillbirth. But Mm. you hear in the zeitgeist people referring to, for example, Chrissy Teigen as having a miscarriage. She did not have a miscarriage. That's a stillbirth. Okay. She was 20 weeks. She had a stillbirth, you know? So it's like that may be part of why we think we don't know people who have had stillbirths. Um, Yeah. And then in your in style interview or uh, article about women not being honest about 
how their baby, you say what it was about. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, yeah. Because there may be more with- that we don't know about. That, that, right. that people say that they lost their baby, but they're not saying, I terminated my pregnancy. Right. They're so too ashamed. Like, yes. I interviewed women who, and some are very straightforward about terminating um, their losses, but I mean, their pregnancies, but yeah, a lot of people feel because of the political nature of it, that they cannot be honest Mm. uh, and candid about what they went through. So instead they say they lost a pregnancy or they had a miscarriage or they had a stillbirth when in fact they didn't. And it's, and, and you know, I think it's probably wise because in certain communities or cultures or subcultures, yeah, that would be seen as horrible. And who knows what would happen to these people Mm -hmm. if they were, you know, brutally honest. A friend of mine uh, reached out after I put my episode out and he said, you know, he, uh, he's wonderful. He completely supports my choice, but he was worried for me that I might have people digging into my past or trying to shame me somehow. Or I said, well, (laughs) fuck it. (laughs) Uh, It is a little bit like fuck it because uh, I have to go, but you have a session. I know you did nothing wrong. And I do hope that you find, you know, support and solace through my page and through the terminating for medical reasons community and, and, and everyone you've reached out to. I really do. Thank you for doing this with me. I do feel bad that I did so much talking. I wanted to hear more from you and not at all. I love it. I love it. There's only so much that I can say about my loss. It's enough already, you know? Well, thank you so much for everything that you've done for, um, the lost community. Is that what you might say? Yeah. And for making women feel less isolated and alone and the awareness that you're bringing to the world. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for helping me through my first sort of episode back into this. This is my first time back in my office here. And, uh, Oh, nice. It was made me nervous to come up here. So anyway, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, keep me posted. Yeah. Thank you. And I'll let you know when this is out, probably be next Tuesday. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for sharing with me. Okay. Bye. As I was reading Jessica's book, quite a few passages jumped out at me, like this one. Pregnancy loss is not a disease that can be cured. It's not going anywhere. It is, in fact, a normative outcome of pregnancy, and it is therefore a topic we would benefit from engaging in candidly and integrating into everyday conversations devoid of silence, stigma, and shame. To help ourselves and to help future generations to normalize the experience, its aftermath, and the grief that flows from it. To allow those of us who have gone through it to be simultaneously vulnerable about our circumstances and lovingly embraced for it. And also this one. I've learned that getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is part and parcel of the grieving process. I've learned that silence is suffocating and that shame strangulates. I've learned that community might be the very antidote to these insidious vestiges. I've also learned that magic lies in allowing ourselves to lean into our pain. We don't drown. We have one another to buoy us. Well, I have to say that many of you have told me how courageous and brave I am for being so vulnerable and for going through my journey so publicly. But I have to say, no, 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 I'm a wimp. I would say that I am so lucky 
that I haven't had to cope with all of this stuff alone, that all of you have been my community this whole time, keeping me afloat. So thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I am overflowing with love and gratitude for all of the love and the support that you've given me in this very difficult time. Now, a little bit about what to expect in the future. As I mentioned earlier, there are so many things I want to talk about and learn about as I navigate my grief, like access to safe abortions, reproductive rights, statistics, and science. I mean, how common is all of this? Infant mortality, maternal mortality, and the fragility of life, microcephaly, infections, viruses, resources for loss, and how to get these resources into the hands of somebody experiencing a loss breast milk, milk donation, more interviews with people who have fostered and adopted, adoption social workers, pregnancy after loss, interviews with women who have experienced a loss and gone on to have more children, interviews with women who have experienced multiple losses. What am I going to do? Will I ever be a mother? Am I already a mother? All of these questions will be answered. Just kidding. There are no answers. (laughs) But look, Go and order Dr. Jessica Zucker's book on the internet somewhere. Pre-order it. It's called I Had a Miscarriage, a memoir, a movement. Follow her on social media at I Had a Miscarriage. And check out all the links in the show notes for this episode. Don't forget, you can support the show by rating, reviewing, sharing, subscribing. You can join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash spermcast. Speaking of Patreon, thank you to all of my new Patreon subscribers. There are too many of you to name right now, but I want you to know I deeply, deeply appreciate each and every one of you. Another way to support the show is through Venmo. You can Venmo Molly hyphen hockey. And speaking of Venmo, thank you to those of you who have so kindly sent money my way. It's just, I don't know what to say except thank you. If you want to reach me, you can get me at spermcast at gmail.com. You can leave me a voicemail or text me at 323-741-1818. You can find me on social media at spermcast. Okay, well, thank you again. I love you all so much and eternally grateful for all the support. See you next week. He could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall, funny, smart, love basketball. Gay, straight, black, white, tiny ass with an underbite. I just need sperm. Sperm cast. An Erios production. Powered by Acast. 